Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. What if I told you there's a world where not only are monsters like vampires and werewolves real, but they have rights just like you and me. And in this world, there exists a secret government organization dedicated to keeping you safe and making sure they follow the rules. Welcome to Anarium a Monster of the Week podcast. Each episode, you will follow the story of three agents of Anarium, played by Rob Hamilton, Taylor Catron, and Cameron Bain, as they navigate through the treacherous world that Game Master Samuel Herbert has imagined for them. Tune in on Spotify, iTunes, or whatever your preferred podcast platform is. It's dangerous out there, folks. So, remember, leave the monster hunting to us. The professionals. Welcome back to Tabletop Journeys. We are really excited for tonight's episode. This is a this is an episode that has been a, a few weeks in the making here. Really excited to uh, introduce you to tonight's guest. Before we get into that, Mr. Myers, Mr. Miller, good evening. How are things where you are tonight? Uh, things are great. It's been a busy weekend. Seriously <laughs> busy weekend. Uh, a lot it's of games. like we had a Kickstarter that just started on Thursday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kickstarter on Thursday, gaming on Saturday with our actual play crew. Fantastic adventures. Awesome. And of course, I did gaming with some other folks also on, on Monday, my home game. So real busy with it and just yeah. generally just enjoying life. It's been a, yeah. It's been a great week. Yeah. How about you, Glenn? How are things going? So I know you're still in Connecticut at this point, and you said probably in Connecticut until we take off uh, for the Midwest to go to a catacon in November. I'm actually th- coming back for November, and yep. then I'll leave again. 
I'm coming back um, too. That's, that's... But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll be a New Englander for a little while longer. Yeah. It's where we've got a lot of family and everybody and you guys. It's been a similarly busy weekend. I was in that Patreon game on Saturday. Our Kickstarters kept us watching the the numbers with bated breath and wondering <laughs> will will we fund and how quickly yeah. will we fund and yada yada yada. Yeah. Uh, so it's been it's just been doing the Kickstarter doing very well. Obviously, so we are on day what five at this point. We're about two thirds of the way funded, and so, which is great. We're really solid weekend, really solid first week. Hopeful that we'll be able to go ahead and keep this momentum moving forward. And I think that probably by the next time that we get together to record, I think that we will have good news that we have hit our goal and start talking about our stretch goals and getting everything together. I don't want to jinx it just yet, but but I'm I'm optimistic. I think we're in a good place. Everyone out there that's been thinking about backing, now is the time. While you're listening to the episode here, you can go check out the Traveler's Guide to Faction and get your money on. Back it now. I can't take the stress. <laughs> Glenn's very stressed about this. I'm very zen about it this time. I know the last time we did a Kickstarter, I was like eating my shoes, man. I was like- I I'm was actually doing like, okay. You know, that was just yeah. for fun. Yeah. yeah so. Anyway. Let's let's get on to the serious meat of our conversation this evening. Yes. So we've got a really special guest tonight. We've got Griff Morgan on here from the production crew of Secrets of Blackmore. And if you're not sure what Secrets of Blackmore is, first of all, let's introduce our guest. Griff, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So for folks that don't know what Secrets of Blackmore is, what's the Dime Tour? What can you tell us about uh, what Secrets of Blackmore um, is? It's a movie about a bunch of like high school and college kids that get together and they start playing war games and then they're looking for other things to do in their war games. They want it to feel more realistic. And so they start to introduce the fog of war, which is just the element of uncertainty. And in doing so, they end up inventing Dungeons and Dragons effectively. They're the Blackmore bunch. They're the guys that, that were playing fantasy role-playing games before D&D was created. And then one of them, their main dungeon master, Dave Arneson, worked with Gary Gygax, and they produced the original Dungeons & Dragons. And so the movie is just the story of how they go from A to B, with a lot of stops in between, to get to the creation of an actual fantasy role-playing game. It's tremendously interesting. So it's available on Amazon Prime. You can watch it on Amazon Prime. A little bit over two-hour runtime, and really fascinating good stuff. I'm really glad that we're going to have the opportunity to ask some of the questions about some of the things that came up as we were watching, because as lovers of film and of documentary and of Dungeons and Dragons in particular, man, this movie scratched a lot of itches for me. So that was, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah I yeah. wanted to add, it's also available uh, worldwide. It's available on Vimeo. For some reason, Amazon won't let us put it on their services in other countries. So say if you're in Australia, you have to use Vimeo, but you okay. can rent it on there as well. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, it's the film business. It's weird what they yeah. distribute things in weird ways. Yeah, yeah. Streaming does not make sense to those who are not part of that industry in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> hey, I'm in yeah. the industry, and it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and there you go, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Even if you're in it, they slap you around a little bit. So yeah, I, I can answer anything you'd like to know. I'd like to just – can I just do a quick plug for the convention? Of course, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so we got to know all the people that were involved in the Blackmore Bunch through doing the movie. And so for years now, we've been wanting to do a game convention and we were about to do one. We wanted to do one and then this thing came along called COVID, so we couldn't mm. do one. And <laughs> then last yeah. year, we didn't really have the funds to do it. So this year, we're launching what is officially the first Arnicon convention, which will feature all the Blackmore players that are in the area that can come to the convention. And it's happening in the Twin Cities and you can find out about it on our website, 
TFOT, T-F-O-T-T.com, which stands for the fellowship of the thing.com. The thing. I love it. Yeah. It was, yeah, we're silly. Uh, you can look at it. You can, there's a page there for Arnicon and you can get badges and find out more information there. And it's coming you know, this October. Before we get into yeah. our question, I want to talk on the, on the silliness thing for just a second, because that sure. was one thing that struck me about the movies. This is more of a statement and less of a question. Sometimes <laughs> we find that, and we're certainly guilty of this too, is that we take ourselves very seriously when we're running oh, games yeah. and playing games. Man, that group was just silly. Like They just enjoyed the fun of it an awful lot. And that a was lot really of them cool did. Some of them yeah. were a little bit too serious, and they fell by the wayside, I think. Ah, well, I think okay. the people that were too rigid just fell away. Yeah, interesting. I think that's uh, a charisma thing if you want to get into the nuts and bolts of a role-playing yeah. game, which is the characters who are charisma become the faces of the party. They become the faces of the game or the ambassadors of the game. So the ones you and your team kept going back to really rose to the top as far as, man, that's somebody yeah. I want to sit down and game with. Or in some cases, there are a few of the folks there. It's, I want to sit down and game with them, but also because at some point you just sit down at the foot of the master to watch how they do a thing because yeah, there's right. still all these years later. And I've been gaming and running games for many years, not as long as that crew, but right. for quite a few <laughs> years. Right. And right. I can tell you that there are still some things that were talked about in that, in, in the film and some little nuggets of intuition that came through in that film that made me go, huh? I need to start considering how I put that into my games. Like right, right. Little little nuggets that I had at different points in my <clears throat> role playing career that mm -hmm. somehow I've forgotten about. That oh, yeah. man, I forgot how powerful that little yeah. thing it could be, and it's yeah. time to bring that back. And that's what I really like, liked about it. it. It was just really that way to get back yeah. to the core of what I originally fell in love with with role playing games and how to bring that back into what I'm doing now. Yeah. Like I bought a copy of Strategos after the, after watching the movie. I was like, I need to read this book. I need to see. What's I'm planning it. on it. I just haven't yeah. done it yet. The original Strategos. Yeah, you can find hard copies on Amazon, like, yeah. like in the resale market on Amazon. Yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't okay. it was like thirty, forty bucks. Yeah, it wasn't that expensive. So. It wasn't a, an original printing. It must probably not an original. It must have been a reprint. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's I not that's the a little bit more. 1880s, yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably a little bit. So. Yeah. No, I wanted right. to get back to what what Luanika was saying about it because I I feel the same way. I was involved in making the movie. But when we did those interviews, every time I was just coming back and, oh, wow, I need to think about this. Or else they would just remind me, like, I used to do that 20 years ago. Why don't I do that anymore? And, yeah, I just kept getting all these ideas on how to run my own game. And I don't, I don't think I'm an expert at it. I have my good days and my bad days. <laughs> we I, all do. I, As do yeah. we all. <laughs> yeah. My last session, I just felt like I wasn't on it. And I was even apologizing to my game group. I was just like, I'm sorry, guys. I'm really tired tonight. Not on my game, but yeah, I don't know. Just talking to them, you learn so much. I can't name any specifics because there's so many, but I agree. I think yeah, there's a lot. That's the thing, and that's why I love about the fact that I've got it and uh, the ability to rewatch it because okay. there was so much, and I took notes while watching it, and I'm like, okay – at a certain point, I'm like, I just want to enjoy this film. So my notes were timestamps that I could go back and rewatch timestamps. Right. Because if I watch this to take notes, 
beyond what I need to to have a, a good interview and a great conversation with you about the, about the film, I'm not going to enjoy the film as much. And it was probably 15, 20 minutes in that I said, screw that. I want to enjoy this film. And I stopped, right. brought the film back to the beginning and just started watching the, the film and just yeah. watched the film. Would mark down some timestamps to go back to so I can get uh, more specific notes to help my gameplay. I'm big on documentaries anyway. That's my style. I love as much as I love fiction, I'm actually probably more of a nonfiction reader. And mm-hmm. so documentaries really scratch that itch for me. Uh, and especially when it's about my own pre- my own personal passions or topics that I'm very interested in. And this is both. So, yeah, I'm just enjoying learning about the origins of this game. And it just reminds me of a, a very important adage that's like a, a family ethos uh, with, with my family, which is you have to know where you come from to know where you're going. Right. And that's what I really love about this. This really just matches up with uh, my personal values in that way is knowing where all of these things that we are doing today come from. And yeah. getting it was back fantastic to getting that out. story like that. It was almost like roots for gamers. It was <laughs> literally like the story of how it all started. I'm sorry, Lee Winika. I felt impassioned enough. I had to burst in there. And I love that you were talking about family and the documentary part because Nate also really vibes on the documentaries and the truth over fiction. Nate's my youngest son. He's 19. Okay. He wound up coming by while I was watching it and stopping to watch over my shoulder. And he was there for probably 15 or 20 minutes. Was he and he geeking out a little bit? little bit yeah and he's what are you watching because he plays the war games too he doesn't just okay. role play. he likes to to pull out minifigs and set up the yeah the battle games and things like that too and i told him and he's oh wow and he's now planning to watch it because he didn't oh, he was playing a game with his friend inside but it was really neat to have him come by and get sucked into it too yeah, yeah. oh cool <laughs> it is cool. definitely that kind of movie that when if somebody's watching it and they're walking past and, and you see him come back two three times and you know the popcorn was already gotten the first time. You know why they're there. Yeah, you, yeah. That's where you just say, just sit down and watch the movie. You need me to rewind a little bit. Just sit down and watch the movie. You'll be all right. You'll be all yeah. right. <laughs> all right, gentlemen. I think we are up to the question and answer portion of tonight's show. So I'm going to break out my fan roll dice, get initiative rolled here, and see who gets mm-hmm. to uh, ask first. So. Do you use it like an honesty system where everybody gets their own initiative die roll and you declare it? <laughs> Not yet. No, but I'll tell you what, if I don't at least come up first or second, I'm going to have to buy another set of fan roll dice. That's just exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so it, it, I'm it, rolling it, digital dice and I, I rolled 20. Oh, okay. I, uh, I, I, I'm at six, Luanika, so I'm not sure how you did there. I came up at 12. Okay, so uh, it would yeah. be Glenn, Luanika, and then myself. All right. All right, Mr. Myers, you get to start us off on round one. Have at okay. it. Okay. On round one. With the leadoff initiative, I got to go with the most basic introductory kind of softball-y question that I've got, okay. which is the Secrets of Blackmore literally is the history of where D&D came from, um, mm-hmm. regardless of how anybody feels about things after the split. that It's irrefutable. That's where, it's, that's where it all started. And I love that this movie got made because it brought that story to me, and I was never aware of it. I've been playing D&D since Advanced Dungeons and Dragons came out. My dad was okay. my first DM. I was probably I was eight, so it was like 79 or 80. 79, probably. Yeah. I've been doing this a really long time, and I had no idea that there was anybody before Gygax or alongside him and because of the way that things have gone. So my question is, because one of the things that, that was in my mind the most was, how did this movie come to pass? 
What's the oh. story behind the story? Who drove for it to be produced? Who? What was the force that carried the momentum forward to get it done? It's, well, it's a stupid story, really. It's like Chris and I would time. get together. We, would, we get together. We still get together every Monday night at our favorite hangout. And we sip scotch and we smoke and we just talk about crap. And we had been working on some movie stuff and we were working on, I had designed this social media system that we were trying to develop. And that's where the company name comes from. The Fellowship of the Thing was actually the company that was trying to do the social media platform. And I got on the, I started playing with Chris's brother's group and, and an old friend from, believe it or not, like a, I think junior high school, the guy I knew from junior high school. And I joined their group and I was playing with their group and I, man, I got to make this as short as possible because it can go all over the place. But we I'm love rambling stories. Don't stress it. Yeah, yeah. No, no. yeah. So I got on the internet. I got really, I got back we were playing Pathfinder and I didn't really like the rules for Pathfinder or I liked the rules. And I thought it was, I thought the die roll system was really elegant. The third edition type, the D20 type thing. And I thought that was cool, but something about it, maybe too many rules for me. And so I started thinking about my original Dungeons and Dragons rules and I got those out and I went on Facebook and I found a group that was dedicated to original Dungeons and Dragons. And maybe a week after I joined the group, it came up, everybody was like raving about Gary Gygax. And I guess it was Gary Gygax's birthday. And so I just typed in, not realizing that there was any sort of drama around that. It's been, the drama happened in the seventies and we're in the teens, (laughs) 20 teens. So I type in, what about Dave Arneson? (laughs) I had no idea this was going to create, I, I, watch my language but a a crap storm and before long i was being people were just yelling at me and there were people in there that were like game authors that i knew that had worked at tsr and they were calling me an idiot and other much worse things a lot of dirty words and this guy named kevin mccall i didn't know his name at the time i just started getting messages from this anonymous person and they were like Oh no, you're right here. And they would give me these links to things like, here's an article on Dave Arneson. Here's another article. And so I thought that was interesting. And I would just repost the links he gave me to the argument. And I was like, why don't you get in there and say something? So, oh no, they all know me. If I go in there, they're going to turn me a new one. You've <laughs> got to do it for me. And so, I don't know. It seems like it lasted at least three days. It might've been just two days, but I got a little paranoid. Who's this guy that I don't know on the internet that's using me as like, his little sock pu- puppet proxy to wage war it's on all these other people. Yeah. And half of the D and D universe seems to hate me on here. People are coming in just to watch the old TSR employees trash me. It's a spectator sport at this point. And finally I asked the guy what his name was and, Ke- and Kevin was like, Oh, my name's Kevin McCall. I used to be Dave Arneson's uh, webmaster. And <laughs> so I started talking to Kevin long story short. He gave me, he, we just started talking about making a movie and then Chris and I actually made other movies. Um, and, and both of us have a long history of working in film and video. And so I would just go out on Monday nights and tell Chris about all this stuff I was learning about D and the history and all this stuff. And one night he was like, Griff, we should just go out there and shoot some interviews and just see what happens. And so that's how it happened. We started. And once we started, it was just so interesting. We kept working at it. And it took six and a half years 
or so to make the movie. That's the story in a nutshell for you. Wow. Okay. Six and a half years. Wow. <clears throat> that, so, that, that is a labor of love. Oh, my goodness. And suffering. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there was plenty of suffering. Yeah. Thank you so much for going through it, though, because oh, it is it, it's, it, it is a wonderful historical documentary about the origins of our hobby. I yeah. am a better steward of, our, of the game for having seen it, I feel. I absolutely agree with that statement. And what I, I, I find interesting <clears throat> is... For all of our gaming, and part of that is our age. So obviously, we are we got into gaming roughly ten years after the controversies flared up right. and happened, and there was no internet. So in our little weird pocket of southeastern Connecticut, at our one single game store, there might have been a news, uh, there might have been a, a magazine article about it, but anything that you were getting from TSR, which was largely the only game in town, if you weren't war gaming specifically. That only had one side of the story. So at some mm-hmm. point, because I am much more, like I said, a nonfiction reader than a fiction reader, I was aware that there were other people involved in the creation of the game. I was aware mm-hmm. that there's a bit of a history, and I was certainly aware that there were legal wranglings as well as social wranglings in that process. But what the story was, how much vitriol was involved, something totally didn't understand or know about whatsoever – your story here, what we saw in the film to some extent, though largely stayed away from the controversy end of it, mm-hmm. beyond just saying, here's this part of the tale. It wasn't even a here's our side or this side as much as here's this part of the tale, uh, right? A- a- right? And put it in context with other things, hopefully. Because somebody- it doesn't try to say anybody else is wrong. It just yeah. talks about facts. Yeah, here's what happened. Here's the account of what happened in this basement at this game table at this time. Here's what happened in this other basement at this game table. Here's what happened at this kitchen table at this time. And interviews with the people who were there. So I love the fact that it matches up with the pieces of the history that I have known or come to know. But at the same time, allows me to put everything into context. And I have my thoughts on the context. I'll save that for the end of our interview. But I really feel strongly that it is important to understand that when people are involved in a thing and people split, it's about getting all the pieces and parts and then let other people make the decisions. And certainly we hope that people can do things better than what took place here. But at the end of the day, everybody has their own story to tell. And I love the fact that you were able to reach out and tell Dave Arneson's story. Because that's something that has been largely hidden from all of us. In all that preamble, there was actually a question I was going to ask. And I got to go now. I'm sorry. About that. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> sorry about that. I burned and up. That's that our movie. show. All right, and that's <laughs> our show. Yeah, see y'all. But it was not lost on me when watching <clears> this <throat> that the desire of the folks playing the game and Dave playing the game was to make war gaming more realistic. That's what the evolution of role playing games came from, and it just strikes me as odd that. We are now in 2023 at a point in time was whenever you try to introduce a new rule or new mechanism that adds some realism to the game, Mm -hmm. the most frequent argument is, well, we're not a reality simulator. That's not what we're going for. And and I'm like, and then it dawns on me, but that's why we're here. Like we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for an effort to be somewhat 
of a reality simulator. While the game definitely steered towards fantastical elements, the goal seems to me, certainly from watching this movie, was always to add realism to those fantastic elements. So you may be fighting a fantastic creature that doesn't exist in reality, but other than the things that break that reality, all other things should function in reality. And I love that aspect mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if in your specific interviews, because I think that definitely came across, but if there's anything that may not have made the film or any specific insights you may have had from your interviewees that le- where they might have commented on some of those trends in the modern game versus what they set out to do back in the 60s and early 70s. Uh, most of them are not. It's funny because they were there when D&D, they were, they're the ground zero for the development team for D&D. They developed the concept with Dave Arneson and then Arneson takes it to, to Gygax. And so most of them aren't even role players anymore. And so they don't have, I, I'm not aware of many of them actually playing role playing games anymore. And if they did, they would probably be using really old rules. Because most of them own original sets, like brown boxes. I saw more brown box D&D sets than I knew even existed when we were making the movie. And then if you talk to them, Wesley runs a game night at his house, and a bunch of the guys from the old crowd come to that. And the guys that come to that are like, yeah, we don't want to play any more RPGs. We want to sit down and do some serious wargaming. So they're all really... They've had full, done a full circle, and they so they went from wargaming all the way into imaginary land and then they're back to <clears throat> wargaming i'm the same way i actually would prefer to just play a big miniatures war game but include a lot of the role play elements of hidden movement and secret orders and maybe like you're given a role and it's you're this lieutenant and by the way you have a grudge against your commander because he did something to screw you over and You'd really, if you go into battle, you would be pleased if his unit was eliminated and he was killed because he's just a jerk. And that kind of, that's the sort of stuff where you start addressing the role playing maybe is in that kind of storyline that you can create in a war game. We did a lot of, we did so much interviewing. The movie's two two hours and 14 minutes with the credits and everything, roughly. And I'm not really, I haven't added it up, but I suspect we might have about 200 hours of footage. Okay. Oh, wow. And, and there's a lot of it that just re- everybody's repeating what everybody else said. And it's not right. like really exciting yeah. stuff. It's you'd want to drill down into the really good stuff. There were little things like Ross Maker in one of his interviews. I was saving a lot of stuff because we wanted to do another movie, but our sales didn't really allow us to fund another movie. And Ross Maker talked about things that I had never considered when Dave Arneson was running his game, the first one that would get killed during a, ba- a, a session would then be in charge of running the monsters for Dave Arneson. Mm. And so, so it was competitive in a way. And then the other thing, yeah, I get to be all the monsters and I get to try to kill your characters. Like this is not easy. You're not going to get off easy. This is really, uh, it's just a really challenging sort of experience. And then I'm trying to think of the other things that were interesting that, Ooh, it just slipped my mind. Ah, dang it. Anyway, they did a lot of, different things that I was really surprised by. And the thing that is with them is that they didn't have any rules. So it was like, what do you want to do when Dwayne Jenkins is, I want to be a vampire. So it's supposed to be fantasy Tolkien fantasy land, but then you got a guy that wants to be like a Gothic horror vampire. I don't know. They're an interesting group. 
Yeah, I love that depiction of how things came together and then rolling back to wargaming. Yeah. It reminds me of a lot of my early time when I first moved to Maine and I started playing in what our group calls the Alanis campaign, which started in second edition, played through third edition, and is currently being played in fifth edition. Oh, so, so this is one of the really old ones. Yeah, this yeah, is a legacy a, campaign, and we've gone yeah. generations by generations. And so much of what I saw in that movie and so much of what you described was a part of the, the, these campaigns in that early campaign world. So when I joined, there was an all-call at the local game shop, and like 40 people showed up at the second week. And oh, so wow. my GM had no idea what to do, so he basically sat us like 8 to 12 at a table. Oh, there were right. a bunch of tables upstairs, a couple tables downstairs in the basement of the, of the game shop. It's called Full Moon Games and run by another friend. And he basically had bas- – the rules he set up were if your character dies, you're out. We'll put you on a list to rejoin the game. And he basically just played the game, and he set it up so players worked at their own tables. He would go table by table. He'd leave you with a mission. You'd figure out a strategy. He'd bring in figs for big battles or even minor skirmishes. And table by table, and you were all basically a squad in this larger army fighting a a revolution. You're basically revolting against the the big power. So it's very much – that you're playing a role in a war game scenario. It's kind of like a Brownstein almost. Yeah, very similar. That's when I was watching and hearing about Brownstein, I'm like, man, this this is exactly what Ben was doing. And it was like, you gave orders or whatever. The other thing he did is he seated in secret notes. I remember he told myself and two other players, we know for a fact, somebody in this overall group is a spy for the enemy. So, when I knew it wasn't the two people, the other, the two other people that were told, and I knew it wasn't me, I said, "You two go do all the important missions. Leave the rest of them with me." And I basically would take one of those tables out on a suicide mission and oh, get wow. some bad guy. And if the bad guy actually killed them, I feel bad because obviously they weren't working for the bad guys. Right, but if and the one who got, lived was the one. But but the but if somebody got off easy, they were clearly the spy. And I went out and literally rolled through table by table, running groups through the gaunt, these various gauntlets to ferret out the spy. Did you I figure did it even, out? I did eventually. It did actually cost an entire village most of their lives. It actually cost about well, yeah. forty other players their lives. <laughs> it was a mess, but we got the spy. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I set him up so he got killed by his own people anyway, and nobody knew yeah. I was the one that was orchestrating this part of it because yeah. I was actually playing a rogue. That's great. Oh, and so I was going to say that or those early Alanis, because that's actually where you, Nick, and I didn't meet there, but that was one of the things that we did very early in our friendship was play in this campaign. And I remember I so much of this movie kind of rang true for the early days of that campaign because it's like – the whole aspect of if you're dead, now you're running the bad guys. That was definitely something that Benito did when we were early on in the game. Because he's like, he, when you've got 12 people, you just need them there, right? And then the other thing is just the ever encroaching armies of bad guys that he would keep putting on the table. Hundreds and thousands of figs that like, if you're fighting in uh, like a necromantic army or whatever like that, looks like the skeletons right. that just kept coming. It's like, how can he possibly have this many figs? What is he doing? And it's not repeating. All hand-painted, all everything. And so a lot of those elements really rang true to some of my very earliest really good gaming that was very nostalgic for me in the movie i I was gonna say i like hearing about the old campaigns because there's one thing that's been introduced 
I'm not sure what edition it came out in. It might have been third edition. They started to market the idea of a campaign as like the duration of a module. And older gamers who started with AD&D or second edition or whatever, it's the campaign is the world. It does not end. If the campaign ends, the world ends, and we got to start all over from the beginning. And I'm like, I don't know how hard it was in your games, but the highest level character I ever had was an elf that was like a fourth level magic user, fifth level fighter when I got to be a player. And it took me years to get there because the carnage was so ever present in the earlier editions. I had a scant few that got very high level, but it took years. I'm talking characters I played from 86 into the 90s before they got into the the high teens or whatever. And that's back when you could go to the 30s and so on and so forth. Uh, Unless you're playing the Monty Hall campaign that that, that they they used to play. But that wasn't our style. Our style was, like you said, it was very close to that Bromstein style. It was very close to the... Here's your role in this greater conflict, and what are you doing? Who are mm-hmm. the forces you're marshalling? I I lament with great fervor the loss of the minion rules and the follower rules of first and second edition, and yeah. even loved the version that they had in the in third edition. I thought those were really good as well. I lament that doesn't exist in fifth edition, and. At some point, we'll introduce it. If the official companies <laughs> won't do it, I happen to work with a group of folks that will do it because right. I love it. <laughs> or you can just plug it in from an earlier edition yeah, and just yeah. go like, we're going to do this because yeah. we know we can do it. Yeah, because yeah. I think there's something to be said for building something within your game. You, you build up your squad. Your squad builds up your platoon, builds up your company, builds up your battalion, and so on and so forth. I love that aspect of gaming. And and. One of the hardest things for me to do when I go to my local game store to run a tabletop game, whatever the genre might be, is when the war gamers are also there because part of me is always taking breaks to go over and look at their figs and see their in battle, oh, yeah. their placements, and just marvel at their command of how to build terrain. And sometimes, like if they're building something on a site that I've actually been to, and to see it depicted so accurately is amazing to me. And I love, I don't war game. Often I have at times, but I just marvel at it. I just marvel at it and love that element of it and love the the fact that this film really brought out that part of me and reminded me how great that is. Live on Kickstarter now, our next book, The Traveler's Guide to Factions, will add depth to your world setting or character's backstory, bringing you all the tools you need to make your next role legendary. Our nine fully detailed factions can be used in any campaign and can be tailored to fit multiple genres and time periods. The system agnostic lore takes you deep into the foundations of each faction and provides guidance on how to seamlessly integrate them into your game system and society. Plus, the book includes an entire chapter containing all the tips, tricks, and processes you need to craft your own factions. Combine all that with the amazing art that we have commissioned and the additional content from our stretch goals, Traveler's Guide to Factions will be a book you don't want to miss. Check it out on Kickstarter now by going to www.ttjourneys.com slash kickstarter. So I 
get to ask a question now. <laughs> yeah, it's like you well, know. Let's the, go back to the beginning yeah. again. Is, yeah. We're gonna skip. Well, it. and that's actually that's actually exactly what I want to do a little bit here, Griffin. I want to learn more about how you got into this and how you know you talked about how you knew about Dave Arneson's story when you joined the Facebook group and everything like that. But what yeah. kind of brought you there? How like how did you get into role playing? What's your role playing genesis? I've told this on a lot of shows. Excuse me. I'm a nerd. So if you look at the movie, the plastic figures of knights and stuff that are in the beginning, those are my toy soldiers from when I was a kid from about 1974 or five or so. So I didn't know that, or maybe even earlier, it might've been more like 71, but I had my knights. I had my, I used to have Airfix, the one seventy second scale Airfix toy soldiers when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I would build plastic tank models and, and I would do things like I had a big piece of carpet remnant as my rug in my bedroom. And so I would slide books under it to make hills and I'd get out all my little army men and build these giant battles. It'd take me hours. I'd be setting up hundreds of little soldiers and then I'd run around and knock them over and do my battles. I was primed for all of that. And then I read the Lord of the Rings when I was about 12. And then what else? Yeah. So I lived... In, I happened to live in a city where they had a mainframe computer known as Plato, and it was an educational computer system. And so my friend took me down there and introduced me to that, and I got a sign-on, which was pretty unique for the 70s. It might have been 75 or 76. I'd never seen a computer before then. And they had a game on there called Letter D, Letter N, Letter D. And, and so I didn't even know it stood for Dungeons & Dragons. It was just D&D is what I called it. And it was a mix between David McGarry's dungeon board game and because it's like a top-down view with a map and you just see the area around you. And when you move, things kind of slide into keep sliding around you and you're like just stuck in the center and, and just random encounters. It's really primitive. You can look it up. If you look up Plato Computer D&D on YouTube, there's a demo that you can watch. So I played that. And then I've discovered another game called Empire, which was a Star Trek-based four-team, multiplayer, top-down view, combat game, like Risk mixed with a first-person, or not really a first-person shooter because it's top-down, but a team Risk game where you're running around trying to take over planets. It's really cool. (laughs) And so I did that, and then my family moved away from that town in 77. So a year or two later, I moved away, and I didn't have access to that. And I discovered in a hobby store that there was there were these other games and there was like somebody had been really clever and they took the computer game that I'd been playing and they released it as Dungeons and Dragons as a paper and pencil game. They were so and, smart. Yeah, they were so <laughs> smart. I had no you know, I was convinced, like, wow, they took the computer game and they made it a paper game because I didn't know that it was the other way around. And then, and then it registered a couple months later of it's really hard to deal with reality shifts like that when you get something in your head a certain way. And somebody presents you, you with like real evidence to the contrary, it's still really hard to change your mind. So that's how I got into playing D&D. And then I had my little group that met at the library and starting in 77. And then I got into another group because they got they were really stuck on D and I wanted to do other things. And they they were then A D and D came out and I don't know, there was like Everybody was trying to rule explain me because now they had these fixed rules and everybody wanted you to play it by the rules. And I was like, I've been playing D&D for, as a DM for years and I run my own world and my own, it was, it just didn't fit for me. So we started doing other things, but yeah, that's pretty much it. And then I played war games 
that era, you had to, you were exposed to a lot of war game stuff through even the Dragon magazine would have articles on war games. So like, I remember like when System 7 Napoleonics came out, it was like a system that used little cardboard counters instead of miniatures and you could play Napoleonics on a coffee table. I had to get that and I got it, but I could never find anybody to play it with me. So I was like a D&D, an RPG kid that really wanted to be a war gamer, but I could never find war gamers to play war games with me. So I would just buy all the war games and read the rules and study them. <laughs> and, and miniatures too. I had armies of medieval soldiers and stuff. I still, I, th- what I would add is I still play those computer games because they're being emulated on a, the server, the, the mainframe is being emulated on a server. And so you can access all the old Play-Doh games sure. on this place called cyber1.org. Nice. And I play Empire every Sunday night because it was like, it's just such an amazing game. I just want to keep playing it. And so a bunch of us old dudes bash it out every Sunday night. I, nice. I wonder what the relation between that game, because there's, there's a game that I used to play called Space Empires that was very similar. Where it was, I would have described it like Risk plus Star Trek, right? Where it's like you're jumping from planet to planet and there are like alien factions that are like moving in and trying to take their own territory. And it was like single player though. It wasn't multiplayer. Right. So wonder, it might be like a yeah. derivative. The, the closest yeah. thing would be NetTrek. And NetTrek was something, I think it, it, it was more like an Apple computer game. And the problem with NetTrek was that since you didn't have the main, the problems that the mainframe had, it didn't port over some of the flaws that are in the game. So there are some flaws that have to do with just how the original system worked that actually are part of the strategy and tactics of the game. If you don't, they call it hypering. If you don't, if you don't replot because you have to request a replot or you have to do 10 keystrokes before you get a replot. And you're forced to replot after 10 seconds too. So if you sit for 10 seconds and then key in that you want to go this direction full speed, you just appear where you would be after 10 seconds. And so that's become the tactic in the game and something that it's one of the really beautiful elements of the game is a bug. And so when we're fighting, it's there's a tension there of, I know he's over here. But it's not a real-time replot thing. It's more like watching the radar in a World War II naval game or something. But I know that the longer he's sitting there, the greater his range is to just appear somewhere and attack. You know, and it's yeah, it's a fascinating game actually. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hear, hearing that, I, I hearken back to my early gaming where, like I said, I love watching the folks who did the war gaming. I didn't have the resources or the space to have all the stuff to do that myself, but I used to buy a lot of the books that went along with some of the war games. Not so much the Napoleonics, but I used to buy a lot of the, the Roman and, and I can't remember the name of the books, but I used to buy stuff on Roman armies and Greek armies, specifically hoplites and the and yeah. phalanxes and things like that. Cause there was at the time that I, I was early in my time at my local game shop. They did a lot of that there as well. And I remember oh, wow. I would take tactics that I would read about in those games and just apply them in my D&D games. Oh, I'm going yeah. to do this tactic, and then I'd force my DMs to adjudicate how successful they would be. And because I was the only one reading all these war game books, I tended yeah. to win lots of those big battles. So right. Like, you, you understood. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was like, that can't work. I'm like, but unfortunately it did. And in fact, then I'll just read them the battle in which it actually worked. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh. It was Alexander versus these guys, and yeah, he totally yeah. whooped their asses. Yeah. Exactly. It, 
It's why our risk games used to be so epic, Luanika, is because both of us would be approaching the situation with this understanding of tactics that because it's something that we shared is that we both had studied. I was, I'm a huge medieval geek. And so studying like medieval warfare and like the strategic con by Maurice and stuff like that, like these are like books that are on my shelf that I've read. And so it's, when we would sit down to play risk, it was just like, it was even more epic than your average risk game because like the, the strategy that we were putting through and everything like that was just, was just a oh, yeah. kind of other world. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember it when I was a kid, I wanted to know more. I read the fantasy books. I watched history stuff on PBS and I, and I was playing the D stuff and then I wanted to know more. So I started digging into my parents' books. And so I found a copy of Herodotus and I'm a teenager. History is this huge, expansive thing. And so I'm reading like ancient, ancient history, trying to connect it to my little medieval fantasy game. But it was like what you guys are talking about. You just dig around and you find stuff and you're just like, okay, this is like it. I'll just use this as my reference. Right yeah. And just trying to find I me. Mean, we didn't have so many resources then. And even up into the eighties, you guys probably saw this. Remember that book called castle and it yeah. was all, almost like a kid's book, but it outlined how a castle was made and what the different yeah. the towers and the key yes, and the town. Below. Yeah. And, it, but it was like, this is like an incredible resource for an rpg -er. It wasn't meant for that necessarily, but it was it like, was, okay. Yeah, it was such a, I was going to say, it was such a great resource that towards the end of the life cycle of second edition, they put out a product called Castle, and then they put uh -huh. out a product called Town, and it was basically RPG rules applied to the same information that was in that book and its subsequent titles and even later in the cycle when the second edition started their splat book phase they started putting that out so there was the castles there's empires there was vikings i think the i i think a lot the through line is to those splat books and that continued through third edition uh, has fallen out and not in favor in fifth edition uh, except for the third party market i think a lot of third-party companies, big, small, indifferent, ourselves included, lean into those elements to say, hey, if you want to add this bit of realism to your game, right? He here's a vehicle to do that. Here's a, here's a supplement that will let you add this element of realism. I don't think any one game benefits from all of those things being added. But if you're playing a game that deals with political intrigue and the, the work inner workings of a castle and the structures of upstairs, downstairs, there are a couple products out there at least two or three of them by our company ourselves that would fit really nicely in that venue. Yeah, and I think that's that kind of, kind of that cool, kind actually. of thing. Yeah. 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 There was early on, there was a uh, judges guild was doing really cool stuff for original dungeons and dragons. They did, they, I, they did the first actual like city environment and yeah. called the city state of the invincible overlord. And that was just a, a stunning thing to see as a kid, like huge city maps with, descriptions of all the little stores they weren't really big descriptions but it was a, a, an incredible reference like what you're talking about it's like suddenly it's oh okay we can go hang out in the city and explore the city and go do things there okay. so my next question it's gonna have to do with something you were talking to us about at the beginning because okay. uh, i love that y'all are branching out and starting your own convention and i gotta say i love the name arnicon because yeah. it must it has to be named in honor of Dave Arniston with yeah. Arnicon. Yeah. And that just seems like the fitting 
cherry on top of the Sunday that is this new piece of history that I never knew about before. And since I have the mobile ability, maybe one day I'll make it out towards that area. Give us a little bit more information about Arnicon and what we can expect to see there over the, and is it a full day, a full weekend convention? Is it a single it day? It starts a Friday evening. We wanted to do two days and we had a little conflict with the, the facility we were working with. And our dates got sold out from under us, basically, before we could sign the contract. So they offered us a deal to go the next weekend, and we were like, okay, we'll just try it. It's our first one. And so what we did, instead of two full days, we they offered to let us do a Friday evening, all of Saturday, and Sunday morning and afternoon. And so it's a two-day, it's just a small convention. And I don't know, it's just, it's a weird convention by most standards, because it's not I think conventions tend to have a format of what they're doing. Ours mm-hmm. is pretty, it's pretty loose as far as there's role playing, there's war games. And then we, I got a hold of the Plato people and I said, Hey, can you guys set up some sort of display or some way people can learn about the Plato system? And so they're going to be coming up and running like a vintage computer games for the whole convention in one of the That's rooms. Cool. So people will be able to go and try out these like really early and really cool computer games. So it's going to be a little bit of everything. Wesley's going to be there running Brownsteins. Ross Maker will be running Strategos and for Napoleonics. And I suspect the miniatures that he's using might be from Dave Arneson's collection because I know Ross has Dave's army now. And, and what else? Some of the guys that were involved in the group that created Fight in the Skies, also known as Dawn Patrol, they're going to be there to run Dawn Patrol I'm going to be running, what is the game called? Fletcher Pratt Naval Combat. It's a game from, I think it was invented around 1937, maybe. And it's a World War II, World War One, World War II surface naval combat game. It's really cool. It's where people claim that's where hit points come from, is that game. What else? Dan Boggs is going to be running Thomas Borg. David McGarry, of course, will be there running the Dungeon Board game which was also came out of Dave kind of came out of Dave Arneson's basement in a way because he first, he did his first demonstration where he let people play his prototype on Dave Arneson's game table. And he happens to have Dave Arneson's table now. And so he's going to bring Dave Arneson's game table, which is a ping pong table to the convention. It's really (laughs) more about the people that are going to be there. There's going to be Malia's going to be there. Dave Arneson's daughter and a lot of the people like Marty, the wandering elf in Blackmore, he'll be there. <laughs> Greg Svensson will be there, the great Svenny. You can just go through the list. We got about, I think, 17 people that are associated with the original group. People you would know about and people you might not know about. John Warren was fly on the wall. He might have been eight years old when they were playtesting D&D at the, at the Gaylord house. So he was just this kid that would wander in and the grownups were playing this game back before anybody thought it would be worth anything. And he's going to be there. So it'd be cool to see John. I don't know. There's, it's going to be a cool event. And it's going to be small. Sounds really cool. Yeah, it's going to be really small. Like we've any kind of business venture, you, you have to get out there so that people know you exist. And usually that means that you're not going to make a lot of money or anything like it's not sure if we wanted to make money we wouldn't be doing a game convention because it's just <laughs> not un- until it's something really huge it's not really like a viable commodity it's more we just wanted to do something cool <laughs> yeah. 
what, what, you know. what, what, when is Arnicon and where is it? Oh, it's going to be in October 20th through the 22nd. It's in the, in, it's in Minneapolis, but we'd like to think of it as a twin cities convention. Cause it really, the okay. gamers represent both cities. Sure. Arneson lived over in St. Paul when he invented D and D or at least his parents did. All the information is on our website, tfott.com, thefellowshipofthething.com. If you go there, there's in the banner, there's a thing that says Arnicon, and you can click that and uh, cool. get more information. Excellent. I'm pretty sure Josh actually had forwarded something about Arnicon uh, just either today or yesterday, because I remember sending that on, because I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Had a picture of... Looks like Dave Arneson in a wizard outfit, which I thought was very cool. Obviously, who else could There's you a have story there. Person? Ooh, and which brings me to my uh, my question. Please tell us the story of that picture. Oh, <laughs> is that where you were leading up to, really? That, yeah. This is the magic of radio. Yes, it was. No, it is now. Um, Dave Arneson. <laughs> I'm, not sure, it for you. I'm not sure if Dave Arneson was invited to go over or if he was just taking a trip. Uh, I think it was the, the movie was made in like Czechoslovakia or Poland or something like that. And so Dave ended up over there and um, they were all thrilled to meet. Like we're making a movie called D and Dungeons and Dragons. It was the original one that was really a bomb. And he was there and they jokingly said, God, it'd be wonderful if you could be in the movie. You have to be in the Screen Actors Guild. At which point Dave Arneson pulls out his wallet, pulls his Screen Actors Guild card because he was a Civil War reenactor. Mm. And if you oh, see oh. Uh, Dances with Wolves, yeah. The, yeah, the chubby dude in the background of the Confederate soldiers is Dave Arneson. Like he's just in there, like blurry in the background, but that's Dave Arneson in, in Dances with Wolves dressed as a Civil War or post Civil War soldier as a Union guy. But so he pulled out his card. He's, oh no, I can be in your movie. I have my Union card right here. Nice. <laughs> and so they were like, Okay, this is great. So they, they, I guess they had a scene where there were these wizards that were casting a spell. And so Dave was one of the wizards casting the spell and they had a costume for him and everything. And they took that shot. It comes from, from the film when they were making the film as a promo still. And after they made the movie, they cut the scene with Dave Arneson in it. So he's not even in the movie. Oh, oh man. No. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it bombed. If he was in it now, I bet more people would be interested in seeing it. But you can see him. And <laughs> he was part of the Minnesota First, which was like a really significant unit in the actual American Civil War at Gettysburg. They were there. I think they were right there during Pickett's charge and helped annihilate the Confederate charge and hold the line. And so he was. they came from a place that's in Minneapolis, Fort Snelling, was there for and so he was part of the group that would do like historical reenactments there they had all the kit and everything when somebody was doing a movie from that time period they'd be like we need union soldiers and he'd be like okay we'll come down and do the thing we got 200 over here yeah so yeah yeah so that's, huge answer that that's cool. awesome i love that story no, that is a great story. <laughs> it is a great picture. We're definitely going to have to use that for the for the, uh, the the photo for this episode. It's the picture that's on your Twitter profile, and it's just it's fantastic. Yeah. It's just like Dave yeah. being happy. There's the big old smile on his face in a, in a total kind of goofy wizard outfit. It's amazing. It's an amazing well, picture. Yeah, there's you guys were asking about interviews earlier, like indicative, like things that insights from stuff that didn't end up in the movie. 
And um, Dave had an assistant teacher when he was down in, at Full Sail in Florida teaching gaming. Um, imagine that, having Dave Arneson for your computer gaming. Oh, I know. Uh, that was amazing. Teacher, right? that, that video of him at the end was amazing. Yeah. Anyway, so go ahead. Yeah. 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 And his assistant talked about Dave was like, like the gamer's gamer. He would just, it was like, oh, there's a convention. I got to go to the convention. And his assistant would be like, Dave, like you're old. And like, how are you going to get there? <laughs> like, you don't take good care of yourself. What are you going to eat? Who's going to keep an eye on you? And he'd be like, oh, I'll be fine. I'm going to, I got to go play war games. <laughs> and they, they really gave you an idea of what kind of a character he was. Like, yeah. I think that. I get the feeling that you guys have the sense I get just seeing the footage when you see the interviews that these are like, like when I met the Blackmore bunch, I was just like, Oh, these are my people. These are gamers. Right. That, you know, like, yeah. Like they all come across. Oh, I want to go to that guy's basement and push some lead around. Go to, ahead. To a person in among your primary interviewees, I can say I have sat down and gamed with people just like that and been oh, yeah. richer and better for that experience. Uh, I, oh, yeah. I would hope that anybody watching that would say, hey, there's that element of that person that reminds me of something that Lee Wanika did or that Josh did or that Glenn did. I would hope that they see that gaming DNA that metaphysically has traveled through the dice through all of us. When I see that film, that's exactly the thought I have when we're watching it and the film is ending, the credits are rolling. Uh, Dave Arneson is talking about gaming and he's up there teaching. And I remember saying that this, these are my people. This is his legacy to riff off of something that Glenn says all the time. D and D is Hours or D&D is my game too. I own it more than right. Wizards does or some other company does or some totally. other person does. This has been what we've been doing for our lives for as long as we've been largely since making, I was eight. Since we've been making real choices. <laughs> yeah. We've been rolling dice and making choices at a game table. It's our game. It's our legacy. And I love yeah. the fact that that at its core and at the very beginning, when it was just starting, that's exactly how the Blackmore group feels about the game. It's their game. It's their rules. It's their legacy. They did the thing that they wanted to do. They made mm -hmm. choices. We make choices. And whether we change rules or whatever, I think it might have been Wesley who said something along the lines of, that doesn't work. We just did a different thing or some, there's right, some right. similar statement to that. And, and, and that seemed to be, ring very true for all of them. They were inventing that. the rules back then. When they took a game they were playing and they changed yeah. it up. Everything they did was inventing rules. So they had to keep some form of a flexibility going on in terms of how things were going to be adjudicated, which is, of course why the, the movie focuses on it too why the referee becomes so important wow yeah cool all right griff really appreciate you taking some time tonight to come out and talk yeah, about I'm, the secrets of blackmore I, I know that so you talked about this kind of earlier ahead of time and none of us had even heard of it yet but you're working on or have a book out also of yeah, uh, supplement yeah. Or, so what's going on with that we started when we were doing the movie we discovered this old dungeon and it had been lost for like 35 years and we ha happened to put the pieces together as to what these mysterious maps were. And we figured out that it was this dungeon that had come to be known as the Lost Dungeon of Tom. As, as well, it was known as Tonisborg, and it was considered to be lost. And mm -hmm. so when we discovered that, we wrote a book on it called The Lost Dungeons of Tonisborg. 
Nice. And so we have Tonisborg. During the making of the movie, we discovered that there were all these other games that were not published that for whatever mm. reason, um, do part of the schism between Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, which is really a lot. It's people talk about that because Dave Arneson had the biggest stake in the company as far as rights royalties, but there were other designers that had designed games. Like there was a sci-fi game that started in 73 and we've rediscovered or John Snyder gave us the fragments he had. Most of it was destroyed in a flood. And then it turned out David McGarry had a printout of a draft that was at Dave Arneson's adventure games when they, when the company went out of business and he just snagged it because he thought it needed to be preserved. He's just had it in his basement all this time. <laughs> so we have a sci-fi game that predates Traveler. David and David McGarry being so closely tied to it and like really loving the game is taking the lead on design, like the design or not really the design, but polishing up what there is there. And it's funny because TSR put out Star Frontiers. I know there are a lot of people that are big fans of the game, but I don't think mm. it even has like a space system. Whereas Snyder's game had space exploration and spaceship building, like Traveler does. Yeah. already in it and what it was long answers snyder had huh. published two two installments of his game the first was called star what was it called star probe the second one was called star empire and the third one was going to be star master and that would be it was like the exploration game where you encounter alien races and start to do create an empire the empire part where you're doing economics and I don't know, like civilization, like that game. Right, know, building it out. Risk civilization. And then the individual going on adventures and exploring RPG game would have been the Star Master game. So we're going to republish all three as one big volume, like hardbound, the same as Thomas Borg. There's a slew of games that we found, like Dave Arneson wrote a gangster game. And yeah, so we have a couple different versions of it because it was... We have all the different playtest editions of it. We even have some playtest notes. And so we'd like to publish that one. I found a gold mine of stuff in there. I was just yeah, going to say, that, and then, that's the follow-up question is, do these guys know what they have in their basements? And when can we go to just to witness and look through them? It's <laughs> sad. People don't realize the value of these things. Like when Pete Gaylord passed away, this is a, a tragic story. His daughters wanted to help. So they cleared out his desk and threw everything in the trash. No. And luckily, for some of it anyway, a collector came by their house and he looked at their trash can and sitting right on top was a number one issue of the Dragon magazine. And he picked that up and he brought it in and he said, this is worth about $300. You might not want to throw it away. Unfortunately, he wasn't a historian like myself. I would have been going through the ephemera and looking for the scraps of paper with weird stuff that other people might yeah. not recognize. And I'd be like, Oh my God, this is, I've heard of this. They've yeah. talked about it. I've never seen evidence of it. And here's the evidence, right? Yeah. Somebody's early character sheet, something like that. Yeah. These are the things that must be preserved by the soul society. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, shameless plug for our, our current Kickstarter. I have something that I've been doing forever, which is I save every character sheet I've, for every character I've ever That's made. Great. Yeah. And, as the different editions of D&D have happened, I've updated those character sheets for each version, oh, wow. which is just something I've done. And part of it is because- Can I just I tell you that you're a big nerd? 
Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Like, <laughs> loud and proud. Like, loud and loud proud. And proud. <laughs> really, to my core. Um, but no. So those are the kinds of things that have. I have notes from some of the early games I ran, like scrap pieces of notes from when I ran Redbox are still with some of my old games. I have computers that are in my game closet that I am still trying to get information off of because they have some of my original notes for mm -hmm. game sessions or old campaigns that I've written. And this is basically my way of putting on record. When, it, when my time comes, my family should not throw anything away. They should make sure that Josh gets it all so that right, he right. can go through and get the goodies, make <laughs> sure they go to good use. But I love the fact that, uh, that, it is. It was not saved because they thought it was worth money. It, even though it's scary that because they didn't know it was worth money, it might have been thrown away. But yeah. the fact that it was more like this when you interview Malia, there's. It, I just get the feeling like this is my dad. Like there's just a love for the things that her dad did, was, and who he was that comes through in your mm -hmm. interviews for her that I think is just awesome. Those are the kinds of conversations that we've been talking about for years that we formed this podcast because, quite honestly, we wanted to get it down. And I think that's what you've done with this movie is you've gotten it down. You've preserved As much as we could. You've yeah. preserved that light, that energy, that love of this game, of each other, of people and interaction that would have been lost to the ages if it were just up to somebody saying, oh, yeah, this name wrote this book on this date and it sold for X amount of copies. Sorry. <laughs> but one of the tragedies, I think, is that there are no interviews with Dave Arneson where somebody mm -hmm. would be would have been as incisive and critical as I am in an interview where yeah. you burrow down and ask the real questions. Every interview I saw of Dave Arneson, there were just surface questions. And to me, that's really disappointing because it's like, you got the guy that invented the thing and you're not asking him specific questions and he never got into specifics. So we don't even really know what his rules were when he started. We don't really know very much about what he was doing. And, and then the other tragedy is some of the guys that were in the group passed away, like Dan Nicholson a year before we started the movie. Mm -hmm. um, some of the guys in the movie are actually have cognitive issues because of their age. And so, sure they couldn't remember a lot of the things and Dwayne Jenkins had suffered a stroke. And so his memory of things wasn't as clear as it could have been. And it's Dwayne Jenkins is the guy that does the cowboy and Western game. Right. Yeah. I would, we would ask, I'd ask him stuff and he'd be like, I just don't remember it gone. Like I lost it in my stroke. It's just gone. And so there's no way like there's that John Pierce for him. Yeah, and it's it was also hard for him when he would try to remember things that were missing. I could tell that he was really straining, like it was really almost painful in a weird way. Mm. And John Peterson, fortunately, let us use some stuff from his archive that covered that that game, so we had a better idea of what was going or there was stuff we could put on the screen to show what the cowboy game was like. Yeah. Cowboy Western, Brownstone, Texas. It's a tragedy when these kinds of stories are lost to time. Oh, I think yeah. historians chroniclers, bards, to go to our own products, the Soul Society, Commonwealth Records, all of these great organizations that we played at game tables and we do in real life are all about capturing that spark before yeah. it's gone from our grasp or our view. So you did a 
just a brilliant job. With 200 hours of footage, like that's a Herculean feat, Griff. That, yeah. That's incredible. Absolutely. So, yeah. But we yeah. see 60 hours is still a ton. I sure. don't know how much yeah, is yeah, there. Yeah. I just guess at 200. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I don't know. It was just hard to do. I'm glad that people find it engaging. There are places where I felt like I, a lot of people have criticized it for being too long. And there are places where they felt like it should only be 90 minutes. But I felt like it was important to be truthful to the story. And I felt that the story needed that much time. <laughs> yeah, it kind of like two movies, right? And it had the beginning where it was yeah. like a lot of background, a lot of history, a lot of kind of the earliest, like uh, when you're talking about like the Napoleonics and everything like that. And then it gets into the way that things evolved into specifically role playing. And I thought that was yeah. a really neat way to divide it so that it didn't feel long uh, because both of those parts were so incredibly important and giving them the right amount of space was important. So I thought that was a really neat way to break that up. I don't know if that was intentional or if that was just like how I well, saw it, but. There are a lot of different threads. There's the thread of them inventing the game, right? So you can follow these different games. But then there's also the thread of the different stages of who's involved with the group and who's... Because I think that the big impact on what was going on was that there was a schism in the group when Leslie disappears to go off to get his master's degree. And, and so you get... And so that's in 67. And then in 69, they meet Gary Gygax and that same year, there are these high school kids. Arneson is already 69. He would have been 22. Yeah. And the other thread is that you've got these kids coming in that are high school kids. And Arneson is, because they're younger, they're not treating him like a jerk, basically. And they are respectful toward him as, as their referee, and he's in charge of the table. And, and that's something even with D&D. I, I see a lack of respect for DMs these days. And... People always get on me because they're like, oh, you're just criticizing, you're an old grognard, you're just critting, criticizing modern games. But there is a, a trust issue with DMs that has to be there. And, and it was more there with earlier systems because the rules weren't as as precise, like with yeah. OD&D and AD&D. And so the same thing is going on with their games. You need you, Everybody at the table needs to have faith in the fact that their referee is going to give them a decision sometimes based just on what the referee is just going to decide. This is the reasonable result. And some of you are going to get screwed by that result. And you've got to just, <laughs> right. you've got to just respect the dungeon master. And that's something that I think is important in all of these games is if you don't trust your dungeon master to give you a fair ruling, it may not be the ruling you want. You're going to get a, a fair ruling then you got a problem. To some extent, if you don't, it's hard if you've never met a person before, you learn that at the table. But mm -hmm. if you are going to a table where you've gamed with somebody before and you know before you sit down or before you stand at that game table that I, I, I don't like this person, I don't like the way they do things or whatever, then why are you even there? Right. That's not the table for you. doesn't mean that's a bad table. just means that's not the table yeah. for you. Yeah. You know, at some point, you just have to, you know, you just have to make that decision. And I'm not one to say, I believe the game needs to be inclusive. I believe there's a whole host of reasons that are just not acceptable for anybody to do at a table. But generally right. speaking, right. if you take out the absolutes, like you can't be a, a, a racist, you can't be a whatever. If you take those absolutes away, like that's not the problem. If the problem is your styles don't mesh, 
than just mm-hmm. to play at that table. I can respect – there are a lot of dungeon masters or a lot of storytellers and game masters of various games that I like or respect as people that I just don't like that style of game, so I don't game right. at that right. And I think if people are a little more conscious about those decisions – we hear a lot less about the problems with DMs and you don't get groups about, Oh, how my DM was evil to me or my players were jerks to me, vice versa. Cause there's arguments on both sides, but I think most of those things are simply solved by two people making a decision of who should be at their table better. (laughs) That's that's the other thing. Finding a good table for you. There's no such thing as like the right table. Everybody's going to be looking for a different game. Just got to find where you fit. Like yeah, right and so is, yeah. it's like sliding into the right table is, is always going to be, it takes time. But like cool. you guys met when you were pretty young. I, I was not quite 21 when Luanique and I met. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah, guys have all this history together. And I don't know, you have all this outside of gaming history that you know about each other. And, absolutely. and you can look over at the other one and, and just by the expression be like, oh, yeah. I guess he's not having a good day or, oh, yeah. he's up to something. Enough blackmail to go around, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. I, I've n- known Josh for going on 30-some-odd years at this point, or, clo- oh, or 20-some-odd, 20, 20 getting closer to 30 every day. I've known Glenn <sighs> since we were in seventh grade. Yeah, we've we've been around the horn a few. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Our game group, like I found, I met Chris. That's another story, but like one of the guys, Paul. <laughs> I, I know Paul through just being a street chess player. We would run into each other on the street playing chess games downtown. Nice. And so I've known him since probably, who it have to be like mid-90s, 94, 95. Mm. Uh, and then I've got, I actually am still friends with some of my original gaming buddies from 77, two of them. And yeah, I don't know. There's, that's one of the things also that I liked about the movie was that you're seeing these people that have known each other for a long time. And, yeah. and uh, I don't know if I left the clip in, but... There was a clip, maybe it's in the movie, where Gail Gaylord says, you get to know each other, or you become friends, and then you stay that way for the rest of your lives. I don't know if it's in the movie or if it was one of the clips I was saving for another time, but Gail always had these like insightful things that weren't necessarily about gaming, but they were about the things that come out of gaming, which is like these amazing friendships. Beautiful, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Um, Wow. What a great conversation. Unfortunately, our time is up for the evening. It's been awesome having you on here. Just one more quick shout out for Secrets of Blackmore. It's available on Amazon Prime and on Vimeo. You Mm -hmm. pick the the streaming service of your choice, depending on your locality. Griff, thanks so very much for joining us tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on here. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Really nice meeting you guys. Absolutely. This has been a wonderful conversation. Yeah. The conversation, uh, even more, uh, even... as enlightening as the film, the two together is like the perfect package. So I really hope that folks who've heard our voices in this episode go see the movie so they get that yeah. whole package and really put exactly. that together. It was really great. Yeah, so go check out uh, Secrets of Blackmore. It's uh, fantastic. Uh, and then let's see, next week on the podcast, we have the uh, the team from Coaches and Dragons coming on next next week. A follow-on to the episode that we did with Jonathan Mendoza way back at the beginning of the year, uh, talking about how tabletop role-playing games are being used in a personal development kind of way. It's an entire company focused on using that as their model. It's a really interesting folks that I met over on LinkedIn, so really excited to have them on the show next week. Griff, thanks again for joining us. Will and everybody out there listening, thanks for taking time to listen to the episode. Go check out uh, Secrets of Blackmore, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great night. Thank you for joining us. 
This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys. Joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for Legends Await.